in the summer of 2015, my family and I had come back to the States for just a couple of months. You see, my dad had cancer. He was still pretty healthy. But we knew that it had gone from a matter of if to a matter of when. So we wanted to spend as much time as possible and and living seven time zones and 5,000 miles away made that difficult. Any chance we got in his last few years, we were going to spend some time with him. In the middle of the night that summer, we received a phone call. It wasn't about my dad, it was about my father-in-law. He'd suddenly passed away of a heart attack. Everything begins to spin. Within hours, we were in the garage looking through paperwork, trying to decide what the next steps were. A few days later, my mother-in-law had a massive stroke. As we were at my father-in-law's funeral... My dad's health began to spiral. Within days, he went from relatively healthy to his literal deathbed. As I sat beside his deathbed, just outside of Atlanta, my wife was sitting in an ICU room here in Nashville with her mother mourning the loss of her father. It's in that moment that we received a phone call. We have been chosen to adopt. Literal hours after that phone call, we received a second phone call. That birth mother had just gone into premature labor. We need to get on a plane and pick up our son. You want to talk about scramble mode. I had no idea what to do. None of us did. So you just try to do the next right thing, that thing that's right in front of you. And the next thing was get flights to Reno. The next thing was pick up that child. I couldn't get a flight out of Atlanta. Busiest airport in the world. I have no idea why I couldn't get there. Somehow we got my wife a flight out of Nashville. She had to leave the ICU room to go to the airport and get on a plane and go pick up a child that was to be her son all while mourning her father, mourning her father-in-law and trying to take care of her mother who had a stroke. She had no idea how she was going to do it by herself. But she was going to figure it out. That's when Jamie Morrison said, I'll go. I'll go with you. I'll buy a plane ticket, last minute, and I'll sit next to you on that plane. We'll figure out how to get from the airport to the hospital. I'll sit outside in the waiting room while you meet your son. You don't have to do this by yourself. I saw God's love that day. You can imagine how many text messages we received during those couple of weeks. 
social media feeds a mile long. With all the praying hands, thoughts and prayers. I still have voicemail messages on my phone to this day that I listen to every once in a while because they're filled with words of comfort. They're filled with words of love. When Jamie bought that ticket, I saw love. Today, for the third week in a row, I get to preach about love. It may seem like overkill, it's not, not even close. You see, since the beginning of the year, we've been walking through the writings of John, first walking through his gospel, now walking through his first letter, 1 John. In the gospel of John, love comes up 57 times. That is more than all the other gospels combined. In 1 John, five chapters, love comes up 46 times. Times. That's 103 mentions of love in a grand total of 27 chapters. Can you pick up on John's theme? You see, we can do three weeks on love. Week one, Truett was here. He was in 1 John chapter 4, focusing us on The foundational love of God where it all begins. Reminding every single one of us that we are loved. Infinitely, perfectly, and completely. Reminding us that our identity and our worth and our value are based on the fact that we are loved infinitely, perfectly, and completely by the creator of the universe. And that's where it all begins. Last week, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. We spent time reminding ourselves that the natural and inevitable reaction to being filled by God's love in our life is to love others. It is not an obligation. It's an inevitability. When we are filled with God's love, we are compelled to love, not out of our own efforts, not out of our own desires, not out of our own abilities or capacity, but out of the overflow of God's love in our life. This morning, we get to get down to brass tacks. What love actually looks like. We're going to continue in 1 John chapter 3. This morning I'm going to begin in verse 14. Would you do me the great honor of standing with me as we read God's word? God, through the hands of John, writes... We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. 
And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Lord, We are grateful beyond measure to hold in our hands the living, breathing word of the living, breathing God. Do not ever, ever let us take that for granted. Speak through this word this morning, for your servants are listening. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Gospel of John followed by 1 John. Perfect little dovetail. Um, in, in both of these books, John is kind enough to give us the exact purpose for why he wrote it. John chapter 20, he says, I wrote down these things so that those who do not believe might know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Chosen One, and might therefore have eternal life. Last chapter of 1 John chapter 5 John does the same thing. I wrote these things to you who already believe so that you might know that you know that you know, so that you might have assurance of your eternal life. All of these questions that you you saw in the sermon bumper boil down to one thing. How do I know? How do I know my faith is real? How do I know my assurance of eternal life? How do I know any of this? Well, the answer to that question is couched in this passage we just read. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. That is to say, we know of our place in communion with our Creator in heaven forever. We know that we have passed from death to life. Because we love our brothers and sisters. How do we know? Love. It seems super simplistic, overly simplistic. There's got to be more than that. But no, that's how we know. That's the litmus test. How do you know? You know by the fact that you love. That's how you know. True, genuine, saving faith is evidenced by love in our life. Okay, well, that's all well and good, but we've talked in this place ad nauseum about the fact that that word love has pretty much become devoid of meaning in the modern English language, especially here in the South. We use it so often. We use it for so many different things to mean so many different things. So we want to know, what does love look like? I want to know what love is. Letting y'all sing through that chorus in your head. How many of y'all waiting for me to sing? <laughs> you will not get it. Um, we do. We want to know what love is. The good news is, we've been shown that. Look, look in this passage, verse 16. This is how we've come to know love. Oh, good. He, Jesus, 
laid down his life for us. It is the most church answer there has ever been. How do I know love? Jesus. It's the church answer because it's the right answer. If you want to know what love is, just look at Jesus. Look at what he did. And what he did is gave up everything. Literally laying down his own life so that we might live. Jesus showed us love by laying down his life. And this is where things get hard. So far, I'm guessing we're all tracking. This is how we have come to know love, verse 16. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So if the question is, how do I know? How do I know that I know that I know? Where is my assurance? Where does it lie? It lies in love. What does your life look like? Okay, well, that's great. What does love look like? Love looks like Jesus who laid down his life for you. Therefore, how do you know you laid down your life for other people? Let's pump the brakes a little bit because that seems like a lot. And, And all of us are willing to say that probably But does our life really look like that? Well, John, in his infinite kindness, actually gave us a tangible example. Because I don't know about you, but I haven't had many opportunities to lay down in front of a moving truck for somebody else. I would like to think that I would. I'm incredibly grateful that, that that has never been tested. So if that's not tested, then what does love look like? Verse 17. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? What does love look like? It looks like seeing needs. And if you have the ability, you meet those needs. You know, Jesus was often asked questions similar to this. He was often asked questions like, how do, you, how do you sum up the entire law? And invariably, how would he answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. When he answered that way, he would then inevitably be asked the follow-up question. All right, but what does that look like? Who's my neighbor and how do I love them? And he always responded with the most famous story in the entire scripture, the story of the Good Samaritan. Who is it that represents love? Who is it that loved his neighbor in this story? It was the one who did something. The one who showed mercy. Very good, Jesus would would respond. Now go and do that. Not go and say that, go and actually do that. What does love look like? Love looks like seeing a need and meeting that need. That's when we get to verse 18. The crux of this entire passage, one of the hinge verses in John's letter. 
Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Now, there are several things we need to do to, to, to really dive into that verse, 1 John 3, 18. First of all, this is not saying, do not love in word and speech. This is not saying, don't use kind, encouraging words. Don't come alongside your friends and tell them you love them. What it says is, do not merely love in word or in speech, but in action and in truth. So in practical application, many of us in our lives, there are a couple of things we get wrong here. First of all, we equate words with action. You know, it's those praying hands emojis. It's the hashtag thoughts and prayers. It's the black square on our Instagram page. It's the Ukrainian flag behind our Facebook profile. We did it. We loved. Because I said it in public. Therefore, I have done that thing. You have not. 1 John 3.18 does not say, don't do those things. Don't say those things. Don't verbally affirm the love in your life and in your community. What it does say is that does not equate to action. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to celebrate my 25th wedding anniversary. Right? I thought there would be more than that. There we go. Counting my wedding day, June 14th of this year will be the 26th time we have specifically celebrated our vows. I can promise you on June 14th of this year, I will look at that woman and I will say, I love you. Can you imagine if I had said that 26 times in the last 25 years, but none of my actions reflected that? And if Nick, rightfully so, asked me about that, do you really love me? And my response was, of course I do. I've told you 26 times that I love you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 does not say I should not tell my wife that I love her. What it does say is I should show my wife that I love her. And if my actions do not reflect that love, it calls into question whether or not I actually love her. That's real. And that's terrifying. Let us not love merely in words and speech, but in action and in truth. Both. Not either or, and one does not equate to the other. The second way we tend to get this wrong is in that second part. Let us love in action and in truth. There are times in our lives that we think action and truth are mutually exclusive. There are times that we think I have to choose between one or the other. 
And sometimes I'm going to love in truth, which prevents me from action. Because sometimes the most loving thing to do is let my neighbor lie in the bed that they've made. Right? It's tough love. And after all, I worked really hard to get to where I am. You know, maybe the best way to love them is to, is to let them know this is how you get here. You continue to make those decisions and you're going to continue to face those consequences. I'm loving in truth. Sometimes our friends and neighbors fall on different sides of incredible debates and conversations in our world. And when we make the decision, the best way to love them is to make sure they know the truth, right? Because if I come alongside them during this season of their life, if they're making, if they're making life choices that I don't agree with or that I'm pretty convinced the Bible has told me otherwise, if I, if I, if I come alongside them in action, they're going to think that I am approving of their life choices. Y'all, that's dumb. It's just not based in truth. It's not based in reality. And, and most importantly, it's not based in Scripture. At no point in time does the Bible say, love in action when you agree with the person you are called to love. At no point in time does the Bible say, love in action, unless the person is is doing something contrary to what you believe. That's not what this says. In all times, our love God's love within us should manifest itself in action. People should see God's love in your life. Last week, there was a leak of a draft of a much-anticipated Supreme Court decision regarding Roe versus Wade. Now, before you shift in your seats way too much and get super uncomfortable, it was a leak of a draft of a potential opinion. Today is not the day that we talk about that opinion when it inevitably comes out. Today is the day we celebrate the gift of time that that leak gave us. It gave us time to most of all pray about our response as a congregation and individually. And it gave us time to be introspective, to do some self-evaluation, and to ask ourselves, do our actions show God's love? I am grateful that I get to serve in a church 
that believes in the sanctity of life. All life. Yet to be born and otherwise. I am grateful that I get to serve in a church that loves into that conversation and that our love is love in action. Our love is love that comes from the overflow of God's perfect, complete love in our lives. Our love looks like serving and supporting pregnancy crisis centers. Our love looks like serving and supporting multiple adoption and foster initiatives. Our love looks like serving and supporting young lives. An incredible ministry that resources teenage moms in our very own neighborhood. Our love looks like serving and supporting women that have terminated pregnancies. Giving them and connecting them with much needed resources. Coming alongside them and making sure they understand they are worthy and they are valuable and they are seen and they are loved. Because there is no us and them. We are called to love and our love should be in action. We are not called to win a debate. That's not what this is about, y'all. We are called to love in action, and that is exactly what we will do. And that love starts here. Look at what John says. Verse 14. We know we've passed from life to death, or from death to life, because we love our brothers and sisters. John 16, we've come to know love because he laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The very beginning of this section in 1 John, John chapter, I mean, uh, verse 11. We should love one another. Verse 23. His command, believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. The love begins here in the body. I know that that sounds selfish. It is not. It is biblical. This is family. This is your family. And in this family, we will love each other with no strings attached. In this family, we will take care of one another with no strings attached. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, hours before he was arrested and crucified, executed on a cross. The world will know who you belong to by your love for each other. 
It is a love that's undeniable. It is a love that if it is not qualitatively different from the world's love, it is quantitatively different from the world's love. It is a love that people will look at and say, I don't know what that is. I don't recognize that. That is missing. Look around you. No, 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 no. I'm serious. It's going to be weird and it's going to be awkward. And you're going to make eye contact with people. How can you love that person? There are times it is in grand gestures like Jamie Morrison buying a ticket to go to Reno, Nevada at the last minute. More often than not, it is in the much more mundane tasks of everyday life. Everyone wants to change the world. No one wants to do the dishes. We will love each other by doing the dishes. I'm driving a borrowed car right now because mine is in the shop. It's borrowed from one of the members of our congregation because they have a spare car. Do you know why they have a spare car? Because people have cars that go in the shop. My wife has a million amazing soup recipes. Right? Not because I love soup, which I love soup. But that is not why. She has collected them over the years because a huge pot of soup on the stove is the easiest way to feed a huge group of people. Time and time again, our home and our table filled. Send a handwritten note. Bring somebody a meal. Stop by and take care of their kids for an hour so they can just go for a freaking walk. If you have a spare car, you have a beach house, you have a place in the mountains, find someone that needs them and let them have respite. Mow somebody's lawn. Be the person that they call at one o'clock in the morning. Be the person they call when they don't know what the next step is. Be the person that drops everything and loves in action. John was writing this letter into the small house churches in and around Ephesus. They had already kind of fallen into some false doctrines, they were bickering and they were fighting. This was about 30 to 40 years after the cross. Barely a generation, and they had already forgotten what had happened just 30 years before. You see, the the days and the weeks and the months immediately after the cross and the grave and the resurrection, as, as the followers of Christ gathered... 
and the church grew. We see it in Acts 2. They had nothing to offer the world. They were marginalized. They were outcasts. They had no prestige. They had no power. They had no influence. They had no money. All they had to offer was love. And it changed the world. Literally. The way they loved one another. Now, our love is not exclusive to the people in this room. The Good Samaritan is a very real thing. And Jesus did sum up the entire law by saying, love God and also love everybody else. But it begins in this place. And we smile and we nod, but we don't do that. There was a Barna research study that was recently done. And people yet to meet Jesus were asked, what are the characteristics you associate with the church? Here were your top five. Judgmental. Hypocritical, political, out of touch, insensitive. 16% of respondents says the church consistently shows love for other people. Y'all, that's pretty damning. But it is absolutely real, and it is a reputation that is well-deserved. Because we have forgotten what we are to be known for. We are so desperate to win a political debate. We are so desperate to be right. That we have forgotten the command to love. We have forgotten to allow ourselves to be filled up to the point that we are identified by God's love in our life. You know, in his, in his gospel, John never refers to himself by name. He only calls himself the one that Christ loved. And that was not a boast. It was just the opposite. What John was saying is, if you don't know anything about me, if I only tell you one thing about me, it's not even going to be my name. It's going to be that Jesus loves me because that is my identity. That is our identity. All of this must be founded on God's pure, perfect, complete, eternal love in our lives that compels us to love others that compels us to love in action, that compels us to show the love of God by our love in our community. We don't love to appease feelings of guilt. We don't love to prove our self-righteousness. We don't love out of any sort of virtue signaling. We don't love only those that look like us. 
We don't love only those that believe like us. We don't love only when people are watching us. We don't love when we can gain something from it. We don't love only when it helps us in our taxes. We don't love only when it's convenient. We don't love only when it fits our calendar. We don't love only when we have nothing better to do. We don't love only those that can love us back. We don't love only those that say thank you. We don't love only those that believe like we believe or act like we act. Because of God's overwhelming love in our lives, we love because we can't help ourselves. John Piper defines love as the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. That will be our love here at the church at Lachlan Springs. And that is the love that we celebrate this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, every single time that I love out of my own efforts or my own desires or my own desperate need to be recognized, it falls short. This morning... Our confession is there are seasons where we are not known by our love. We recognize you are the only one that can change that. Fill us to overflowing with your love to the point that the dam breaks and we can no longer hold it back, Lord. We pray these things in your son's sweet and precious name. Amen.